welcome to a special October bonus episode of Screaming Through the Ages, a horror movie history podcast. I'm your host, Trey Whetstone, coming here from Columbus, Ohio. And yeah, we've got something that kind of sprung up last moment, and I'm recording this you know, early on. I'm not sure when this is going to release in October, but I do plan this as like a fun little bonus episode. This isn't necessarily going to cover a adult horror movie, but it's something I stumbled across on Twitter and I thought was just fascinating and couldn't pass up. So what is this topic that I just, you know, had to do a bonus episode on? Well, I was strolling on Twitter and I followed the Horror for Kids account over there, which is pretty cool because I'm still into that kind of stuff with not only like Scooby-Doo, but the Haunting Hour and all that kind of kid-oriented horror I still find pretty enjoyable myself and you know growing up with things like are you afraid of the dark and goosebumps and and all that that's just something that yeah that's that's stuck with me so I come across an ad they have playing on there for it's a tv spot ad that played after it looked like played after a spongebob episode or something on nick but it was advertising melissa joan hart hosting a very special event with a movie called Crybaby Lane, and also like an, I think, Are You Afraid of the Dark Hour episode or something like that was on after it. That's what Melissa Joan Hart was promoting or was going to be hosting on there. And I was like, this is fascinating. I sh- could have sworn I had heard of Crybaby Lane before, but I didn't know what it was. So I went and looked it up, and apparently it's just this big storm that the last few years has kind of set the internet on fire. Or to say, you know, at least a few years ago it did. And it was very fascinating to me. I feel like I slightly remember hearing about this coming up on Twitter and people looking for this, but this was assumed... Let me give you a little bit of background as to why I would want to cover this obscure movie from the year 2000 that was on, you know, a kid's network. It was on Nickelodeon. It was just, when I started looking into it, it just became more fascinating and fascinating, and I found an article from Mental Floss, which I will be referring to for this episode, kind of like I did with the Elevated Horror episode. And I did actually go and watch this movie, which was thought to be lost. It was thought to be, you know, too scary for kids and was pulled from TV. Was that the case? I don't know, but I do want to get into that a little bit. I want to go through the article and give you a background on this fascinating mystery. And as many times is the case, the mystery is far more fascinating, or what's surrounding the film is far more fascinating than the actual movie. But I will also talk about the movie at the end of this. So let's dive into this Mental Floss article and get started. So this article over on Mental Floss was titled, The Legend of Crybaby Lane, the Lost Nickelodeon Movie That Was Too Scary for TV, and it was written by Michelle Debzak. I think Michelle does an excellent job of chronicling this whole thing, so let's uh, let's dig into it a little bit. So she starts off by saying, several years ago, rumors about a lost Nickelodeon movie branded too disturbing for children's television began popping up around the internet. They all referenced the same plot. A father of conjoined twins was so ashamed of his sons that he hid them away throughout their childhood. This being a made-for-TV horror movie, naturally, one of the twins was evil. After one twin got sick, the other soon followed, with both boys eventually succumbing to the illness. To keep the town from discovering his secret, the father separated their bodies with a rusty saw 
and buried the good one at the local cemetery and the evil one at the end of a desolate dirt road called Crybaby Lane, which also happened to be the title of the rumored film. According to the local undertaker, anyone who ventured down Crybaby Lane after dark could hear the evil brother crying from beyond the grave. And I do want to make a note really quick. So that is the backstory. We don't actually see that backstory play out. So that's a pretty gruesome backstory. It's not going to play out in the movie. Also, the local undertaker is frankly Angela. Crazy, right? <laughs> so let's move on. Um, Crybaby Lane then jumps to present day. Well, present day in 2000, as the author puts it, and it, yeah, it was. This movie came from 2000, where a group of teens sneaks into the local graveyard in an effort to contact the spirit of the good twin. After holding a seance, they learn that the boy's father had made a mistake and mixed up the bodies of his children, burying the good son at the end of Crybaby Lane and the evil one in the cemetery, meaning these ghostly whales were actually the good twin crying out for help. But the teens realize the error too late. The evil twin had already been summoned and quickly began possessing the local townspeople. So that's the setup. That was this myth that was going around Twitter and around social media and all this stuff around the internet is this crybaby lane thing. And as someone who loves urban legends and creepypastas and all that kind of stuff, I'm all about this. I love this kind of stuff. So naturally, when I found out about this, I was like, I have to do a quick little episode on it. All right, we move to a section called Movie or Myth. And this is where... The author here is going to delve into whether or not this movie is real. So, parents were appalled that such dark content ever made it into the family-friendly network, or so the story goes. And after airing the film once, the Saturday before Halloween in 2000, Nickelodeon promptly scrubbed it from existence. But with no video evidence of it online, for years, some people questioned whether Crybaby Lane had ever really existed in the first place. So this is what gets me, as we become so... <laughs> we've become so distrusting and everything like that that we actually think that this movie that so many people recall and that have, you know, this detailed description about it just didn't never it never existed because you can't find it anywhere online. I don't know, you'd have to talk to I'm sure that um, you know, Peter and Allison and Joel over on Terror on the Tube have ran into plenty of situations. I'm sure they know of TV movies that are just lost or something they've seen you know, when they were kids or lost, there are plenty of people out there. TV, they didn't used to keep everything from TV. A lot of times they would just, they weren't going to use it again. It was just going to go in the trash and they weren't going to keep any records of it. That happened. I mean, we have so many lost films. It's not just as simple as, oh, it's not on the internet. It doesn't exist. And I get the urge to not trust or something like that. But when there's this much concrete evidence about this thing, yeah, it could be fabricated, but it seems unlikely. I don't know why there was this big furor over this, especially when, you know, we'll get into it a little bit, but this thing had, 2000 was not the only time this thing played. Let me continue. Okay, so here's a post from someone who had posted on a congregate forum, and on the congregate forum, and said, okay, this story sounds completely fake. Nick would never air this on TV. And that was in September of 2011. They continued, and why would this be made knowing it's for kids? The story just sounds too fake. I get that. I absolutely get that. But I think once you see <laughs> what the movie actually is, and we can talk about that in a little bit, but once you see what the movie is, you'll realize, no, this is, I think this is tamer than a lot of Are You Afraid of the Dark stuff. You have to remember what Nick was going for. The 90s, listen, if you weren't around in the 90s, if you weren't growing up in the 90s, 
for kids stuff and in general really the late 90s was an edgy time i mean the 90s were edgy in general that was the whole you know you had grunge that was popular and i mean you have to remember that nick was trying to aim their programming at teenagers i mean they had their whole you know snick which was saturday night nick which was a a whole teenage programming block, so this makes sense to me that this would air. Let's continue on with the article, though. While the folklore surrounding the film may not be 100% factual, Nickelodeon quickly confirmed that the lost Halloween movie was very real, and that it did indeed contain all the rumored twisted elements that have made it into a legend. Before Crybaby Lane was a blip in Nick's primetime schedule, it was nearly a $100 million theatrical release, Peter Lauer, who had previously directed episodes of the Nick shows The Secret World of Alex Mack and The Adventures of Pete and Pete, co-wrote the screenplay with Kablam co-creator Robert Mittenthal. Crybaby Lane, which would eventually spawn urban legends of its own, was inspired by a local ghost story Lauer heard growing up in Ohio. Shout out to Ohio. There are a ton of urban legends here, I know. So, Anyway, continuing on. There was a haunted farmhouse, and if you went up there at midnight, you could hear a baby crying. It'd make your high school girlfriend scared, he told the Daily. So what happened? This movie was going to be a $100 million film, which is incredible to think about. I don't don't know if that's right. That seems, seems a little off, right? Like, there's no way they're giving that. Maybe that's a, a typo or something. I don't believe any movie like this would get that kind of a price tag. Anyway, despite Nickelodeon's well-meaning intentions, parent company Paramount wasn't keen on the idea of turning the screenplay into a feature film. The script was forgotten for about a year until Nick got in touch with Lauer about producing Crybaby Lane, only this time as an $800,000 made-for-TV movie. The director gladly signed on. That seems much more reasonable, and I don't... I don't know. Maybe it was $10 million it was supposed to be, but 800000 seems like something that Nickelodeon would put out. Even with the now meager budget, Crybaby Lane maintained many of the same elements of a much larger picture. In a bid to generate more publicity around the project, Nickelodeon cast Oscar nominee Frank Langella as the local undertaker, a role Lauer had originally wanted Tom Waits to play. All the biggest set pieces from the screenplay were kept intact, and as a result, the crew had no money left to do any extra filming. Still pretty impressive that they were able to keep everything in, and getting Frank Langella is probably eating up a lot of your budget, and then all these extra filming scenes, but I don't think they did a bad job with the horror elements of this movie. In the end, only two scenes from the movie ended up getting cut, one that alluded to skinny dipping and another that depicted an old man's head fused onto the body of a baby in a cemetery. Yeah, that's probably just a little bit much, but... The story of a father performing amateur surgery on the corpse of his sons, however, made it into the final film. The truth of what happened after Crybaby Lane premiered on October 28, 2000, has been muddied over the years. In most retellings, Nickelodeon received an unprecedented number of complaints about the film, and responded by sealing it away in its vault and acting like the whole thing never happened. But if that version of events is true, Nick has never acknowledged it. I think it's much more likely. It's very it's cool and mysterious to think about this movie being locked away in a vault because it was too scary for kids, and they got all these complaints about it. What I think is more likely that happened is it just didn't do very well, so why would they show it again? I think you have to play a little bit of Occam's Razor here and 
you know, the simplest explanation is usually yeah, the right explanation <laughs> as to what happened here. And I think that's probably what happened. I don't think they got a lot of complaints for this because maybe the backstory is a little bit gruesome and all this, but I seriously do think there are many Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes that are more disturbing than this. Even Lauer wasn't aware of any backlash from parents concerned about the potentially scarring effects of the film until The Daily made him aware of the rumors years later. All I know is they aired it once, he told the paper. I just assumed they didn't show it again because they didn't like it. I did it, I thought it failed, and I moved on. Kind of alluding to what I'm saying, I don't think it was probably a big hit for them. But the idea that the movie was pulled from airwaves for being too scary for kids isn't so far-fetched. Though Crybaby Lane never shows the conjoined twins being sawed apart on the screen, it does pair the already unsettling story with creepy images of writhing worms, broken glass, and animal skulls. This opening sequence combined with the spooky empty-eyed victims of possession that appear later and multiple scenes where a child gets swallowed by a grave may have made the film slightly more intense than the average episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Ah, uh, agree and disagree, depending on which episode you're watching. This movie definitely has more of a lighter comedic tone in a lot of places, and uh, to provide some levity, so. Okay, uh, let's move on to a section called Imperfect Timing. Crybaby Lane premiered at a strange time in internet history. Too early for pirated copies to immediately spring up online, yet late enough for it to grow into a web-fueled folktale. The fervor surrounding the film peaked in 2011, when a viral Reddit thread about Crybaby Lane caught the attention of one user claiming to have the so-called lost film recorded on VHS. He later uploaded the tape for the world to view, and suddenly, the lost movie was lost no longer. So here's the, this is why I love these stories that came up in the early days of the internet, when you're talking about the the 90s and the early aughts, when we're talking about the early days of the internet, when it was more widely available to people, and you just get these stories popping up on chat rooms and all this other stuff. There's a creepypasta, um, I think it's called Pirate's Cove or something like that. I don't know if that's the actual name of it, but um, it was made into that sci-fi show, which I cannot remember the name of for the life of me. But it's you know it was the creepy pasta show, and this is one where these kids are talking about the show they remember seeing when they were kids and all that. And there's several of those, and I really do love that kind of stuff. So this is right up my alley in that sense. And I could see, especially in 2011, people being skeptical. But how cool is it that this guy just happened, guy or girl, I don't know, just happened to have this lost tape or a tape of recorded Crybaby Lane? And this is something you know, growing up in the 90s. I had recorded stuff on TV all the time. It's just really cool that this person showed up and was like, hey, I've got it right here. It's not lost. And that's the power of the connected internet, right? We don't have to always rely on rumors for lost films and things. Sometimes we are able to find them. News of the unearthed movie made waves across the web, and instead of staying quiet and waiting for the story to die down, Nickelodeon decided to get in on the hype. That Halloween, Nick aired Crybaby Lane for the first time in over a decade. Regardless of whether the movie had previously been banned or merely forgotten, the network used the mystery surrounding its origins to their PR advantage. We tried to freak people out with it, a Nick employee who worked at the 90s or all that, now the splat. So this person worked at the programming block that resurrected Crybaby Lane and wished to remain anonymous, said of the promotional campaign for the event, they were creepy and a little glitchy. We were like, this never aired because it was too scary, and we're going to air it now. 
So that's that's pretty good marketing at that point. I'm going to see if I can track down some of those ads and maybe share them out there because that's that's pretty interesting to me. Crybaby Lane now makes regular appearances on Nickelodeon's 90s block around Halloween, which likely means that Nick hasn't received enough complaints to warrant locking it back in the vault, and during less spooky times of the year, nostalgic horror fans can find the full movie on YouTube. The mystery surrounding Crybaby Lane's existence may have been solved, but the urban legend of the movie that was too scary for kids' TV persists, even at the network that produced it. People who were definitely working at Nickelodeon in 2000, but didn't necessarily work on Crybaby Lane, were like, yeah, I heard about it, I remember it being a thing, the Nick employee says. It's sort of like its own legend within the company. So a couple points there, yes, it has not been pulled off of the Nickelodeon 90s block that's airing now. That's a little bit of a, that's a stretch because that block airs, I think, later at night, and it's a different time as well than the two, you know, 2000. It's very different. Um, as far as the YouTube thing, so the versions on YouTube, now there's one out there with Melissa Joan Hart hosting, and it has the commercials and all that, and that's an hour and 24 minutes long. Um, I'll provide the link to that one in case you're feeling nostalgic and want to watch that stuff. There's also an hour and 10 minute long one that I found and watched on YouTube. They're not you know, spectacular quality, but they're all right. My thing is when you go and look on IMDb or Letterboxd, it's showing as, you know, an hour and 36 minute film. So I'm very confused as to why, what's going on. If that, I want, I'm just wondering if that original had more to it that was cut off. So this is the place where I think the mystery still remains. And I don't think anyone's asking questions on this. Why was it logged? Is it just a mistake? Was it Logged by someone who doesn't know? Was it logged with that in commercials? I don't know, but it's on two different sites, on IMDb and Letterboxd, at an hour and 36 minutes. So why do we only have an hour and 10-minute version floating around? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that is... The one in the one that has Melissa Joan Hart hosting in the commercials, that was played as, like, the premiere of the movie, and it would have had to been, because Melissa Joan Hart would not be back in 2011 to host this movie. Maybe, I don't know. But my main point is, that's where there's a little bit of mystery to me. Like, why is this movie listed as longer on IMDb? Is that someone trying to be funny to think like, oh, let's make it seem like there was all this stuff cut out of the movie? I don't know. I'm Melissa Joan Hart, otherwise known as Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And I gotta say, it's good to be here on Halloween weekend hosting Snick. Why, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you did. Because tonight, Nickelodeon brings you the world premiere of an original movie called Cry Baby Lane. It's scary, spooky, and special, all that stuff we teenage witches go for. I, for one, am pretty psyched. So, pop up some popcorn, get a blanket to hide under, and hmm, maybe one more thing. Some company on the couch. <laughs> Here comes Nick's original movie, Cry Baby Lane. So... I want to talk a little bit about the movie itself now. That was the whole story, and that was a wonderful article that dug deep into all this stuff. I really do appreciate that and like that article, and I will link it here in the show notes in case you want to check it out. So I watched this thing, and this was like a whirlwind. I mean, this was like I saw it on Twitter. I went and looked for it and saw this article. I read it, and I watched the movie, and I was like, I got to do an episode on this. The movie isn't the greatest. It's a typical kind of kids' TV movie of the time. There are some creepy elements in it, though. 
So I will link the YouTube video with Melissa Joan Hart in the show notes so you can check it out if you want to. But there are going to be a couple little spoilers here um, just for the things that happen in it. Yeah, the story at the beginning is definitely creepy and it does have a creepy vibe at points and, you know, there's some bullying stuff that is kind of creepy that I don't know if it's... I don't... I think that's before this happens, but these brothers, you know, they get in trouble for going to this Undertaker's house and hearing all these stories and everything like that, and they're told not to go there, so as payback, you know, the older brother's like, you gotta help me with this seance, we're gonna scare these girls. Turns out they do something at the seance, which is a very fake seance, that they're not supposed to. I mean, they're not, when I say fake, I mean they're not intending it to be real, the brothers are just making this thing up. But they do something that they're not intended to, and I think there's a pretty cool element it's different, at least, that I've never seen about reviving the bodies from the grave or how you revive the soul or the evil spirit. But we start getting a cool part of the movie was we get this radio message that's like, or maybe it was on TV, I can't remember where it was, but it's basically saying, you know, girls, a group of girls are running rampant all over town. And you get the feeling that it's a small town, and that's a very weird thing to be reporting on and just kind of leave it at that. You see maybe a, a scene of all these girls running around, but... You start getting people possessed, and the brother character, and all these girls, and their eyes turn white and blank. They basically just don't have pupils, and that's a creepy enough image. I think it would work better in 2000 when you're a kid or a teenager. So that's pretty creepy, and you get in some situations. I mean, there's a cop trying to run the kids off the road. There's a farmer with a combine like going after these people, going after this kid. You do get some creepy elements. One of the things that I thought was creepy, but it's it's kind of a lame effect, but the thought of it is creepy, is, you know, this girl that the the younger character who's our main protagonist this movie likes, um, they're in this cornfield, and she's basically like, oh, you have to kiss me, or, or else, basically. <laughs> and that whole scene's weird with all these girls, like, egging him on to, to kiss this girl, and they were, they're all possessed, by the way. And then she opens her mouth, he goes to kiss her, and she has a spider on her tongue, which... Again, it's a pretty cheesy effect, but I think that's probably the most effective imagery in the movie. Uh, it's just not very good. It starts out good. There's some good elements, and even as someone who usually likes this kind of stuff, I just didn't like it. And I think the mystery surrounding it is cool, and I think we'll always have that. And it's just cool to have this newer urban legend that I didn't know about before. So I love that. I love when urban legends sprout out around sprout up around like TVs and radio and all that kind of stuff. So I do like it in that sense. It's just not a great movie and for most people it's going to be in a void. I think I gave it like a a 5 or a 5.5 out of 10 on Letterboxd and you know if you follow me over there I am a much higher rater than a lot of people especially on this type of thing. But Dark Mark as well had given this thing a two and a half stars out of five. So we were in line on that one, and that was the only other person I saw to see it. So it seems like it's pretty missable even from people like I know Mark and myself both love that type of thing. So, But it's a great story, and I just had to tell this creepy story of that was circulating around the internet, and people were kind of losing their minds over this thing. And yeah, I think it's one for the the record books and definitely some history that needs to be told because you know, TV movies are important too, and I mentioned them before, but Terror on the Tube does great work with those ones, and I, 
I love hearing about those. You never know what you're going to get. You're usually going to get something disappointing, which is like this one. But it's it was a cool time to have TV movies. And I think I've mentioned before, but one of the ones I remember the most was The Beast, which was airing on TNT, I believe, or maybe it was network TV. I can't remember where it aired. But I remember taping that and being excited for it. It was a giant octopus movie. It terrified me as a kid, but looking back, I don't think it was a great movie. So that's why it's important. I mean, it was just a different time and a time I'm nostalgic for, of course. And there you have it. Crybaby Lane, an original movie in SNCC and pretty scary if you ask me. But you know, it was educational too. Chock full of valuable lessons such as... Well, it's probably not a good idea to do seances in a graveyard. And you might want to be wary of people with fluorescent glowing eyes. Try not to kiss girls with spiders in their mouths. Don't trust guys who eat handfuls of worms. And above all, always be suspicious of your siblings. I'm Melissa Joan Hart, a.k.a. Sabrina the Teenage Witch, wishing you a happy hunting and a howling Halloween. Stay tuned for more Halloween weekend stick coming up next. All right, so that is the story of Crybaby Lane and my thoughts on it. But one more thing before I go, since it is October and Halloween time. I'm going to tell you all a little ghost story that we have happening here in our, you know, in our house in real life. Now, it's nothing over the top. It's much more subtle, but hopefully you enjoy this. And, you know, please feel free to share your own ghost stories or any encounters like that. I don't know if people believe in ghosts or spirits or anything like that. But I'll tell you, we've been pretty creeped out at times and we kind of just respond by ignoring it, which I think probably the best way to go. So... This all started ever since my daughter had come into the house, my youngest daughter. And we would have her in the nursery in the crib, obviously, and she had this little wind-up unicorn. And this little unicorn, you know, you'd crank it and it'd play. Well, there'd be some times when the unicorn would just go off, and it wasn't like we had just cranked it, even within an hour or so. We would just hear this unicorn playing over the monitor or over, you know, just hearing it down the hallway. And this creepy little crank-up unicorn would just play its, start playing its song. So that was the first instance when we, we had this happen. And then a little later on, there was this hedgehog toy, which was, I think it's like a Fisher-Price Linkamole or something. But anyway, you have to press the buttons on this thing to get it to work, and it makes noises and sings and all this. Well, sitting in bed one night... And I hear something over the monitor. It sounds like music. And I look, and the hedgehog is lighted up in the room. And this is the middle of the night. I mean, my daughter's in her crib. She obviously isn't old enough to get out of the crib. So we get, so I get out of bed. Uh, my wife's still sleeping. So I wake her up, and I'm like, hey, this hedgehog's going off in her room. She's like, well, go turn it off. So I, you know, I creep in there. <laughs> I'm pretty freaked out at this point. But I creep in the room, and I turn the thing off, and that was that. Well, later on, she tells me that that's not the first time that's happened. She's heard it go off in the middle of the night as well. Needless to say, we were effectively creeped out and just accepted, there's probably a ghost that is playing with our daughter, <laughs> or something like that. Because there would be times we'd look at her on the monitor, and she'd just be talking, or she'd be talking in the middle of the night, or looking at something, this happens with my youngest daughter too now, our new you know, four-month-old baby, four- or five-month-old baby, depending on when this comes out, and she'll just be looking. The other day, she was just staring off the side of her eyes, seemingly at nothing. Now, maybe it was a light that she saw, and she was just attracted to that, but creeps me out. So, the other piece of this, 
is I would, and we have two dogs, and we used to have a cat who who had passed away last Christmas, around last Christmas. So we used to have three animals, and there'd be times when I would be home by myself working, and I would be downstairs with all three animals, and you know my daughter was at daycare, my wife was at work, and I would just hear a bang or a noise from upstairs, and whew, creeped me out. And you just hear or a little creak like someone was walking. And this has escalated recently with my wife saying, you know, she's heard like it sounds like someone's walking or creaking down the hallway at night or something like that. Maybe I'm chalking this up to something. I mean, this could be chalked up this next story to maybe not shutting my dog's crate or maybe not leaving our gate. So let me set this up is uh, one of our dogs sleeps downstairs in a crate which is, you know, has a door that latches on it. It's pretty hard to latch. It's not just something you have to pull, push from both sides to get to latch. And then we have a hallway gate for the kids and everything and to keep the dogs out of our hallway leading back to our bedrooms. So one night, uh, Remy, who is our pug, was in his crate, and we were in bed, and I hear this jingling. And I go out, and he's sitting by the gate in the middle of the night. And I hadn't let him out. I mean, he was just sitting there by the gate. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to take you back down to your crate, whatever. And then later that night, Riley, who is our Yorkie, I believe he was out on the... He usually sleeps with us, but for some reason he was out on the couch. And closer to morning, you know, there's that child gate, like safety gate in before our hallway leading back to our bedroom. He somehow had made his way from the living room and he was in our bedroom. So again, maybe it was late at night, maybe I didn't shut Remy's crate before the end of the night, maybe I didn't shut the gate when I was coming back into the bedroom fully, but either way, that was creepy. And then now, sometimes, the only one upstairs sometimes will be the eight-pound Yorkie, and I'll hear this sound, and it's like the sound, so our cat used to get up on the counters, and you'll hear this sound that kind of sounds like either the cat getting up on the counter or getting down on the counter. I know Riley can't make that sound, and I don't hear the jingling of his collar either. So, we're thinking there's two ghosts going on here. We think the cats come back as a ghost, and we're thinking that the, <laughs> the um, that there's some kind of ghost here that likes playing with children. I don't know, but it's creepy either way. And, yeah, we just hear noises, and of course, there are house-settling noises. I mean, this house is 40 years old, so it's not like it's a new house but there's just some creepy stuff that we sometimes can't explain. Now, this was a weird thing, too. And I don't know if this is related or not. This could have been from anything. So I specifically remember wiping my daughter's feet off the other night, my oldest daughter, because she was barefoot in the garage when we came home and her feet were kind of filthy. So before bed, I wiped them off with a wipe and made sure they were clean. And when she gets up in the morning and comes out, my wife's like, what is that on her foot? And on the bottom of her foot, there is this black, like, it looks like a marker had been run down the middle of her foot. So, I don't, and this was in the morning. She could have had chance. I mean, she doesn't have open access to markers. There are markers around that she uses, but I, I don't, I don't know. Like, she doesn't readily have that available. And she had just woken up. I think, I don't know how long she had been up for, but we noticed that there was just this long black or brown line down the middle of her foot. So I wiped that off and we kind of, um, I didn't say anything to my wife about that one, but I was thinking like, oh, that's kind of creepy. And, and maybe something happened. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it wasn't a marker. Maybe it was just a mark. 
but it was weird that I specifically remember wiping her feet off the night before. So something's going around, on around this house. We're going to continue to ignore it and pretend like nothing's happening. And um, I am effectively creeped out. I'm glad I'm recording this during the day and not at night. But yeah, so I hope you enjoyed that little Halloween episode with the Crybaby Lane and this little ghost story. As always, you can find the podcast over on Twitter at Screaming Ages. You can join the group over on Facebook at Screaming Through the Ages, a horror movie history podcast. You can email the show at ScreamingThroughTheAges at Yahoo.com. Call and leave a voicemail that I will play on the show at 740-297-6556. And as always, you can find this wherever podcasts are found. I'd appreciate you sharing this with your friends. And until next time, keep your eye on your favorite podcast feed for your next bi-weekly or in October, weekly horror movie history lesson. <laughs>